press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Kristen Amiot. It's Tuesday, October 25. The executive in charge of forensic services at Queensland's state-run lab has told an inquiry into the troubled facility she didn't pursue complaints from concerned scientists or police because she didn't understand the science. Do you think that a manager who lacks the ability to understand the significance of matters like this represents the best form of management we can have for a lab like this? Lara Keller later downplayed the problems in briefings with new executives. She'll return to the witness box today. The former boyfriend of murdered Mackay woman Shandy Blackburn has been hauled back in front of a judge, this time in Perth's Magistrates Court. He's charged with assaulting a man in the mining town of Newman in 2020, but says he was provoked by his former co-worker. We'll have more on that later in the episode. Budget day has finally arrived, with parents, students and those using the pharmaceutical benefit scheme set to be better off. On the whole, though, Australians should brace for more cost-of-living pain as the Albanese government dodges a probable global recession. That's first up. Treasurer Jim Chalmers will hand down the Albanese government's first federal budget tonight. Even though these pressures come at us from around the world, they're felt most acutely around the kitchen table. And so what we'll do in the budget is we'll provide responsible cost-of-living relief with an economic dividend. Patrick Cummins is The Australian's economics correspondent and he joins me now. Pat, we've already received some insights into what this budget will contain. So let's do a quick recap. What do we know so far? Well, what we know so far is that they're now expecting a much weaker economy than they were a few months back. So we're expecting a weaker economic outlook. That's bad news for the budget because it means we're going to have higher unemployment than we had expected, heading towards 4.5% over the next couple of years. Higher unemployment means fewer people in work. That means less tax revenue. It also means higher welfare payments. Not good for the budget. Katie Gallagher, the finance minister, has been out and about. She's claiming they've found about $21 billion in savings. I put those savings in inverted commas for now. It seems like they will postpone a few infrastructure projects Uh, a little bit further out because it's hard to get things off the ground. They'll repurpose some. And it looks like they're going to put the axe to some of the big infrastructure spending commitments associated with the National Party's deal with the coalition when they were trying to get through some of their updated climate goals. So we've got a bit. We've got some savings, got tens of billions of dollars in savings. We've got a weaker economy, which means less money coming into the budget. We've got a stronger outlook in this immediate past financial year and this financial year. But then further out, things are looking rather dicey. Yeah, we've all felt those dual pressures of rising cost of living and inflation. So what kind of global economic circumstances is the government operating in and should we be preparing ourselves for more financial pain? So they're preparing us for a much grimmer economic global economy. As you say, inflation has really been a scourge and we've had central banks racing to contain it. They do that by hiking interest rates, trying to slow the economy, trying to slow demand, take the heat out of this inflation. We've got the potential for recessions in the UK, in Europe, and in the United States in the next 12 months. This is obviously not good news for us. We're a small open economy. We trade with the world. We're lucky that we sell a lot of our stuff at very high prices currently to China. 
how long that lasts is an open question mark, but it should carry us through for the next 12 months or so. So we're not expecting a recession here, or at least that's not the consensus view, but certainly a sharp slowdown from what have been a couple of years of pretty strong growth despite the pandemic. And what should we be keeping an eye out for when the budget is delivered in full tonight? Is there anything that could potentially fly under the radar? The government's got about $50 billion in what they call off-balance sheet funds, things that haven't been committed yet but are sitting there ready to go. But obviously any money they spend out of it is borrowed money, even though that's not appearing in what we normally look at, which is the underlying cash deficit. It might start appearing in other kind of lines of the budget. And because we're in deficit, every additional dollar spent has to be borrowed. That's something to keep an eye on. I mean, the big question mark is around, okay, where are these savings and are they real and are they lasting? I think $22 billion isn't anything to be sneezed at in the first budget, but we've got much more work to do over okay. the budgets that follow. Which projects are going to be postponed? Which are going to be cancelled? Where's the spending going to cut? And finally, the longer-term outlook is for a deficit that stretches as far as the eye can see. And at the last budget in March, we were hoping that a growing economy would see those kind of debt and deficit trajectory on an improving path. I think this one will show that they're on a deteriorating path. So the pressure is really on a new government to deal with the cost of living that's really hitting a lot of households, but at the same time, they won't be able to offer much help for fear of making the inflation problem worse. So they're caught between a rock and a hard place. So how they manage that politically will also be something to keep an eye out for. It's it's been a tricky set of circumstances to put this budget together, and Mm. we're trying to put together the most responsible, sensible budget that actually helps households deal with this inflation challenge, which is hitting their hip pocket. And just zooming out for a second, we'll speak generally. Do you have a sense at this point who will be the winners and losers of this federal budget? What they'll be doing is they'll be putting in place their election commitments. So we know that they will be increasing childcare subsidies, for example. That won't kick in until the middle of next year. But nonetheless, parents with uh, kids in care will get something. And so they will be winners. People who use the pharmaceutical benefit scheme and rebates, they'll get more of their money back for prescription medicine there'll be winners as well. So these are the cost of living things that they've committed to before the election and they can help people out. There'll be more TAFE funding. They're going to promise to extend parental leave. That's not coming in for a few years. If you wanted to study at TAFE, there should be more funding for you. If you've got kids in childcare, there should be more money coming back to you through subsidies. And if you're spending a lot of money on prescription medicine, then that will help as well. But in terms of how do you meet the power bill in the next few months, The states are stepping up there, so they'll bear some of that weight and the rising cost of everything and your falling real wages, which is most of us, higher mortgage costs, which is uh, about a third of households, then uh, not too much and it'll be a tough time. Patrick Cummins is The Australian's economics correspondent. Coming up, John Peros faces new allegations of violence in court. I'm Sarah Lamarquin, Editor-in-Chief of Stella and host of our podcast called Something to Talk About. Every weekend we publish a new episode where you'll hear compelling personalities, strong opinions and thought-provoking conversations. I wanted to be able to do it in my time when I was ready and speak my truth when I was ready. The topic of when do I become a mum, that is in my mind 24-7. Search for Something to Talk About wherever you listen to your podcasts.
John Peros, the former boyfriend of murdered Mackay woman Shandy Blackburn, appeared in Perth's Magistrates Court yesterday. He's charged with assaulting a man on a mine site in the Pilbara in 2020, just weeks before a coroner found he was responsible for Blackburn's 2013 murder. Paige Taylor is the Australian's WA Bureau Chief and she joins me now. Paige, listeners to the Shandy Story podcast will know of John Peros, but let's do a quick recap. Who is he and how did he come to be charged with assault on the other side of the country? Well, Mr Peros is the former partner of Shandy Blackburn, whose death is the subject of the podcast Shandy's Story. And we know that a coroner found he was responsible for Shandy's death in 2020. That was August 2020. But a jury found he was not responsible and not guilty of that killing at a jury trial in 2017, and he's maintained his innocence since then. We know at some point he moved to Western Australia because he was working in the Pilbara at one of BHP's mine sites north of the inland town of Newman, and that's where this incident is alleged to have taken place. So Peros was in court on charges unrelated to the murder of Shandy Blackburn yesterday, as you said. Tell me about what this alleged incident was. Yes, it's completely unrelated. We were told in court its beginnings were an an altercation between him and a colleague, and I don't think we've heard anything from Mr Peros's lawyer to suggest that there was no altercation. It's just there's a lot of dispute about what happened after that. So a fellow named Alex Gell was watching a video on his phone and he told the court it showed some police officers being attacked as part of a Black Lives Matter protest and Mr Gell said that he thought that was wrong. This is what he told the court, at which point he claims Mr Peros said that all police officers deserve to be stabbed and shot. And so then Mr Gell replied back to him, how would you like that if those police officers were your family or words to that effect? Then he called him a moron. It sounds like quite an agitated exchange. And the next day they were assigned to work on a broken excavator together, the court was told. And that's when there was this physical altercation. Two colleagues heard, depending on who's talking in the evidence, uh, screaming or yelling and ran to see what it was all about. They both say they saw Mr Peros punching Mr Gell. John Peros's defence barrister defended his action, saying he was provoked by Gell as they worked together, as you've said. What does the prosecution say was the outcome of that altercation? At the very beginning of the trial, which is not before a jury, it's before a magistrate, the prosecution said the result of that altercation was significant injuries to Mr Gell, they say significant facial injuries is how they described it, and the bridge of one of his teeth was kicked out. They also showed some photos in the court of him looking bruised and a bit battered. Paige, you were at the Perth Magistrates Court yesterday for the hearing. What was Peros's demeanour like? Mr Peros sat quietly in the courtroom, mostly behind his lawyer. At one point he moved to the middle of the bench behind his lawyer. He didn't speak or give evidence yesterday. But the trial is ongoing. It's not clear to us whether he is going to do that or not. He's not required to. It's a bit unclear how long this will go for. We we thought it might only be one day, but it's stretched into a second day. Paige Taylor is the Australian's WA Bureau Chief. 
You can follow The Australian's ongoing coverage of an inquiry into Queensland's state-run forensics lab, which was prompted by Hedley Thomas's investigation into Shandy Blackburn's murder at theaustralian.com.au. A troubled young woman. Her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.